Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of Fresh Takes. Today, Todd and I will discuss the World Series. This was recorded before Game 7 had happened, so some of our predictions are accurate and some not so much. We'll discuss favorite player jerseys, we'll discuss Purdue grads, and we'll also discuss some light reading that we enjoyed. Thanks for the time, and I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, so hey, I'm Nick Bullington. And I'm Todd Oakland. So hey Todd, uh, this is being recorded on Wednesday afternoon. So I know you've got a had a big night last night and a big night ahead of you. Uh, what did you think watching Game Six, or what did you think overall? Your thoughts on the World Series? Uh, well, obviously I'm, I'm I'm thrilled, excited, and terrified all at the same time. Um, I don't know. Last night was good. Last night was uh, I had a lot of confidence going into the game. Uh, I thought Arietta, even though he struggled a bit this year towards the, the latter half. Um, has you know been a very good pitcher so uh, i was confident in that i was not so confident in tomlin pitching so i mean the pitching matchup was in their favor and really it was fairly apparent i mean they got all over tomlin early game was over pretty quick i had a couple beers ended up falling asleep on the couch um and actually did not see joe madden um use chapman which I read about the next morning, or I read about this morning, I'm sorry. And uh, I'm not really sure my thoughts on that. Uh, I don't know. I don't really think there's such thing as overuse at this point because of one game left. Um, but with that being said, like, why don't you just throw in Pedro's stroke and call it good? Or, you know, just whoever. Um, but with that being said, I mean, look, it's Game 7. As Joe Buck is going to remind us several times tonight, I'm sure, anything can happen in a Game 7. Um Looks like Lester will probably be able to pitch at some point. Um, Hendricks is a good pitcher. Um, so really, if you consider those guys as almost your, like, I don't know, first six or seven innings, I mean, that's not bad, right? That's pretty good, even even though they're up against Kluber, um, who he terrifies me. But I'd be terrified of pretty much any anybody right now on the mound, um, simply because I've never experienced this in my life. Um, anyways... Those are my general thoughts. Obviously, it's pretty exciting. Um, trying to think, like, do I need to do something special for tonight? I got some good beer at home. Obviously, that's that's good. But do I need to like make something? No, I think like, you have. I think you have to make sure you have some really crappy old style. Um. Well, so that's the thing. And and living in Massachusetts, I can only get crappy Massachusetts beer, which doesn't really help me. Um, but like, should I make like a Chicago style hot dog or something tonight? <laughs> Like what? I I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't do. I would fall asleep on the chick on the couch again. I think that's probably your best option. <laughs> just, All right. Just don't change anything from Game Six. No, uh, no, no. Yeah, that's. I'm. I'm pretty sure I won't be falling asleep on the couch tonight. Um, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> so okay. So you said, is there anything special you should do tonight? I was listening to, okay, so Bill Simmons during the NBA playoffs, he kept on talking about how the, the Golden State owner was, um, I, I don't know if he was giving himself a curse or whatever it is by saying how they're smarter than the rest of the league. Do you, do you think, I mean, do you believe in fate or any sort of thing like that? No, I'm a complete nihilist when it comes to basically everything. <laughs> I think the universe is completely random, and this is all just happenstance. Um, and I totally disagree with Bill Simmons <laughs> on pretty much every time he ever brings that up. Um, it doesn't matter what you what you wear or what you cook. Perfect. 
right. You, you have no way. No, no. I'm game. more, more. I, I'm more like more. Not so much from a superstition standpoint. Just that. You know how would how how best do I uh, uh, I don't know celebrate this? And the only thing I can think of is make a hot dog, which is kind of dumb. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm trying to think of my my favorite Chicago food, right? I, I love the hot dogs. Uh, the Italian beef, in my opinion, is the uh, the world's perfect sandwich. But there's no way I'd be able to find that out here. And if I had, you know, if I had my act together, I would have been planning this out like a week ago. Are you just staying home? You're not going to try to find like a Chicago? Uh, I'm sure there's a Cubs bar there. There is, but I don't want to deal with that crap. I'll just watch it at home. I'll, I'll, this is this is a journey that has to be taken by myself. <laughs> this is this is the sports fan equivalent of like a sweat lodge vision quest. <laughs> so you know, by the sixth inning, I'll probably be hallucinating on peyote and trying to understand the meaning of all of it. Um, so so Chapman, yeah. Chapman, my yeah, good. my thoughts on Chapman were well. I agreed with, I can't remember, somebody else wrote it, but I agreed with them, so I'll repeat it. But, yeah, it's got nothing to do with tonight. It's not going to affect his performance. What it could do is affect his performance in the future in his career. It could shorten his career. Sure. And I, I would buy that. And they point, like they pointed to Keith Folk in 2004. I don't know if that was fair. I felt like Keith Folk was a little bit older at the time. But If it's a game six and the uh, team that's down 3-2 wins the game... Are you allowed as an announcer to use a different phrase than I'll see you tomorrow night? 2011 and 2016, Joe Buck ends it both with we'll see you tomorrow night. I feel like he probably did it because in 91, whenever Curry Puckett hit the home run, uh, his dad said we'll see you tomorrow night. I don't know if it's just a Buck thing that they have to keep going or if there's like, this is it. That's all you could say. I like the idea of a Buck thing that they have to keep going. <laughs> um... And I'm trying to think like the the Carey family of broadcasters, like because they're like a Carey thing they have to keep going. Yeah, drinking, um, drinking a lot. Because Chip, because but well, drinking, yeah. I mean, but but poor poor Chip looks. I mean, he's the apple song very far from the tree there, um, in terms of his his lineage. But uh, yeah, no, I I don't know. I not much for being an announcer. Like I I appreciate a good announcer, and thus I. I think Joe Buck does a fine job, but it does kind of piss me off sometimes that he's like our generation's, I don't know, Jack Mel Buck. Allen or Jack Buck or, you know, whoever's going to be like broadcasting these, these huge games because for better or for worse, the voice is going to be now ingrained in my head for the rest of my life. Um, you know, I tell you where it really makes me mad is uh, uh, Doc Emmerich in hockey, that, that crazy bastard. Because like he, you know, he's the voice of all the national stuff. So anytime the the, the Hawks win the uh, when they win the cup, he's the one doing the you know the announcing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It just he's over. He's just a nut. Uh, I don't like his voice. I think he's just crazy. He says stupid things. But for better or for worse, he's the he's now the voice of my the best hockey moments of my life. So thank you, Doc. <laughs> Did you know that? Uh... John Smoltz started Game 7 of the 1991 World Series. That makes sense. Yeah. So, I, I, well, who, was he, who was he up against? I oh, Jack Morris. Would be, uh, it would be Jack Morris, right? Yeah, yeah Jack yeah, Morris. Yeah. That was that, yeah, yeah, that's right. Jack Morris went all 10 innings, and Smoltz didn't, and he lost. That's right. That's right. So I wonder how many times Joe Buck... Story, 
Oh my gosh, that's what I'm looking forward to tonight is whenever, uh, like whenever the Indians pull, pull Kluber, I'm going, that's a huge mistake. You shouldn't pull him. He's, he's not allowed to run. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I didn't even think about that. Um, did you ever think John Smoltz would be a, a good announcer? I actually really like him. Speaking of announcers. Um, so I don't like him that much. <laughs> I know everybody likes him. It's he's very popular, but uh, I don't. There was like a few times where he said something that I just drastically disagreed with, and this is going to be really interesting because I can't remember what it was. But like, there's been a few times where his analysis I I just disagreed with. I mean, it's I mean it's in depth analysis. It's not he's not dumb, but I just disagreed with some of the stuff he said. Which you know, who am I to disagree with, with John Smoltz? But uh, I mean. Alex Rodriguez is the uh, standout. Did you see the clip from uh, A-Rod, Frank Thomas, and Pete Rose were just standing around talking about hitting and their approach at the plate and all this stuff? Did you see that? No, I haven't seen it. Tell me more. Oh, so it was great. It was great. So it went on for like five minutes and... You know, they were talking about some stuff that you probably kind of know. Like Pete Rose was a switch hitter and so Pete Rose was like, my... My power, what was it? His power came from his right hand because he was naturally right-handed, but he hit better when he was when he batted left-handed because there's just more right-handed pitchers. Um, so he he got more repetition. But then then A. Rod asked him like, so what did you do when you were in a slump? Like how did you change your approach at the plate? And Pete Rose goes on. He's talking about well, I never changed my swing. Your swing's what got you here. You never sw- change your swing. So what I would do is I would move back in the box or I'd move up in the box or I'd move in or I'd move out. And he said, basically he treated the, the batter's box as a, as a quadrant, as a uh, four quadrants. And he just moved around in there if he was in a slump, but he didn't change a swing at all. And I thought that was interesting. And then, I mean, it just went on and on and on. And they were just, you know, talking about how hitting the ball. And it was three guys who I think one thing is beyond debate. They were all really good at hitting baseball. So it was it was pretty good and and A Rod really uh like A Rod really directed the conversation like sometimes uh Pete Rose would just get to rambling like an old man which he is and then A Rod would interrupt him like politely interrupt him with a different question to get him kind of back on track to what he wanted to talk about but it was so apparently they were taping like a 15 second promo like you know in between during the game like in between commercial breaks or whatever just saying. Hey, we're coming up after the after the game or whatever. But then after the promo was over, they just kept talking, and Fox, to their credit, just kept recording. It was it was really interesting. Uh, a Rod apparently is really interesting. So yeah, I mean, I I've always thought that A Rod would be kind of an interesting guy after he got done. My my worry was that he'd just be such a phony because he's just you know a phony. just A Rod, but he yeah. doesn't really have anything to to protect anymore at this point i'm not saying he's not i'm not saying he's not a phony because he probably is but i actually think he's I, I agree with you i think he's been very good um i think he does a good job um i kind of wish they would have had that conversation with jason hayward sitting next to them that might be nice. <laughs> maybe he'd get a couple ideas <laughs> poor jason hayward god i man i don't know what's going on with that i, I tried to actually look it through uh, you know, some of like the sabermetrics articles, there's various things on fan graphs that just kind of describe like his approach at the plates and what he's swinging at now versus what he was swinging at before. 
And there are some differences. I mean, I don't know if I'm smart enough to really interpret them. Um, but it is interesting that we can actually do that type of analysis now. And it does, I mean, again, appreciably, it does look like there are differences to what he's doing. Um, I just wish he would stop doing what he's doing differently now and go back to when he was actually <laughs> good at hitting. Um, so anyways, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, that is an interesting, uh, I mean, I know those feelings. I always wish that Ricky and Keel could go back to what he was doing before he went crazy. Well, I think Ricky and Keel would just he could have gone back to doing what he did before. Um, <laughs> anyways. anyways. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I, just get back to Game 7 and then we can move on. I mean, I, I'm excited. What are you going to do for the game? Are you going to nah, pull yourself up and try to watch it? Yeah, I'm going to watch it for sure. Uh, just watch it at home. Um, you know... I did say that it was going to be pretty unbiased during this, but I've definitely found myself pulling for the Indians. And, uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you want to be the team that lost two games in a row. I, I do think there's momentum to a certain degree. And, uh, I don't think the Indians are in a good spot right now. And Kluber. Well, yeah, I hope, I hope you're right. <laughs> Kluber's going on three days or three, yeah, three days rest for like what the third time in a row or something like that. So I don't think that's good. And there's, ah, I don't know. I mean, it's all hands on deck. Anything, anything can happen in the game. So. <laughs> oh yeah. Anything. Oh wait. Anything, anything can happen in game seven. Um, yeah. I mean, I honestly, if it comes around in it, I probably would be pulling for the Indians. I, and not just from like a storyline standpoint with the whole Belize wins and yeah. the Cavs winning and the, they have such a long drive as well. I actually just kind of like that team. I think it's a cool team. Uh, Lindor is obviously awesome. He's fun to watch. Um, you know, I, I like Kipnis. I mean, uh, Corey Kluver, I think is a fantastic pitcher and he's kind of an interesting pitcher. Um, and that he's not super overpowering, but he can. But he, you know, he also has like a kind of a weird breaking ball that that seems to work really well. So, um, and obviously the whole and then the whole Andrew Miller thing is kind of fascinating too. I mean, how good has he been? Um, you know, it, the crazy thing to me is Cubs are a better team, but the Indians haven't had Carrasco or Salazar, so their their pitching is. It's kind of a shell of what it was in the regular season, and that's that's a shame. I mean, the Cubs can point to you look at our average stats and we've underperformed, but the, the Indians haven't even been a full team, which is a bit of a shame. Well, I was gonna say they, the Cubs have actually underperformed. Like the Indians just haven't even had a chance to to, to perform, yeah, you know, theoretically without those guys being there. So, um, but yeah, I, I would totally pull for them. I mean, I I'm just kind of partial to the guys they have on their team. I just um, I just think it's kind of interesting and. I don't know. It'll be, uh, I don't know. Are, are we going to see the, this premium placed on good bullpens from here on out? Because last year with, with Kansas City, that was kind of one of the big storylines. Oh, yeah, we've got this great bullpen. Obviously, Andrew Miller has been fantastic. Um, I, I don't know that if it's going to create more, like, more belief that the bullpen is really important. I think that's been there. But I do think that, if anything, uh, Francona, and to a lesser extent, Madden is going to influence the way that, that other managers use their best reliever. They're actually going to start using him more in high leverage situations than in saves, which I don't know what, how that exactly plays out because do, do, will pitchers get paid more intelligently? Like, who's going to be worth more 
let's pretend that Andrew Miller was going to be a free agent after this year, and the uh, and the Indians closer was a free agent after this year, and the Indians closer or, or two years from now. So Andrew Miller has no slates, no saves. He's got a number of holds and a number of wins, um, but he's been used in all these high leverage situations. And their closer has 40 saves and 43 tries. I mean, Andrew Miller should be the pitcher that's worth more, but will he be evaluated as worth more? That's what yeah, I'm no, curious. I, I am too. I mean, we. I think the analytics is kind of pushing it towards, yeah, you use your best pitcher in these high leverage situations. And it's become more apparent kind of uh, from an outcomes-based perspective, like what that actually affects because – you have leverage index or whatever else you want to look at on a, you know, play by play basis. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense to me that, that you would do that. It also makes sense that you would pay someone accordingly that performs well in the most important points of the game. I mean, I remember arguments, you know, 10 years ago, like how important are those three outs at the end of the game? Are are those actually the most important outs of the game? But the closer is, you know, your highest paid reliever. Because in most situations, it's probably not the most. I mean, it's, if it's a three-one, three-run lead or something like that. I mean, yeah. What's the chance of actually, you know, that team coming back? Um, I mean, obviously, the closer if the closer explodes, it turned into a high leverage situation. But you could have a situation a couple of innings before where where that's the most important part, and that's where you want your best guy out there. So, yeah. I mean, look, I, I think it makes sense. I mean. You know, we baseball goes through weird phases. I mean, a lot of sports do, but like weird phases where things are important, right? It was like, I don't know, you go way back like 20 years ago with on base percentage. And, oh my God, I can't yeah. believe it. And then, you know, you start talking about some of the more like uh, defensive minded metrics and trying to measure defense. The Red Sox were kind of famously trying to get into that. They thought it was undervalued. And now, yeah, maybe it's like high leverage pitching and, and, and putting your best pitcher in, in kind of these high leverage spots and actually paying them accordingly. Um, that'd be kind of cool. Do you have a favorite Game 7 that before tonight? My brain's not really firing, I guess, on all cylinders. What's your favorite? And maybe I can build off of that. Uh, so it's probably 91 just because I've watched replays of it so many times. Oh, that yeah. And it was just a great game. Uh, Jack Morris was amazing. Obviously, Smoltz was good. Uh, twins were, they were worst, worst in the league in 1990. So, it was, uh, that was a really good one. Um, that's probably, I mean, that's probably the best. I mean, 2011 wasn't, I loved it because the Cardinals won, but it wasn't even a close game. But, and it was like, it was one of those rare situations where Game 7 just couldn't match up to Game 6 at all uh, because Game 6 for 2011 was amazing. Um, let's see, what are the other ones? I don't really remember 2001 that well. Uh, so Di- it was Diamondbacks-Yankees. That was the Diamondbacks, yeah. yeah. Um, that was Luis Gonzalez against uh, Marion Rivera, right? That's right, that's right. Um, that was a good game, and I mean... I didn't really particularly care about the Arizona Diamondbacks, but I think everyone was kind of rooting against the Yankees at that point. So that was pretty exciting. Um, 97 was a good game as well. Okay. 97 was Marlins. Yes. Indians. That was the the long game, right? That was like, yep, 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 yep. Yep. Marlins were down two, I think in the bottom of the ninth, they scored two to tie it up. And then I think they ended up winning an extras if I remember right. 
Yeah, I, wasn't it? Uh, Renneria. Uh, uh, Edgar Renneria. That's yeah, right. Yeah, Renneria. That's right. So, oh uh, loved Edgar Renneria. What about um, uh, Bumgarner? 2014 had that Game 7 save, right? Yeah, I lived in Australia at the time, so I didn't watch oh, it live. Oh, okay, yeah, so it was it was happening like 36 hours in the future, however the time change was. Yeah, there was like a year and a half of American sports where I'm just confused. But we can talk about like state of origin, or we can talk about uh, the Ashes. Yeah, if we want to talk about the Ashes, I could talk about that. I mean, what's your what's your favorite Ashes of all time? What, what's the most dramatic Ashes of all time? Oh, uh, um, my favorite is the oh gosh, the test, the test in England that went five days and then they couldn't get all of the outs and so it didn't end and ended in a draw. That's my favorite. <laughs> That's one sport that I'm still trying to figure out. I I told you, I think I told you the story one time. So I went to Singapore last winter um and it just so happened that i believe it was the cricket world cup happening some sort of a big cricket event i think was it was the world cup was it test cricket or was it 2020 or was it um i believe it was 2020 okay so 2020 is actually good but i'll let you finish all right but uh, uh i was lucky enough to actually watch the india uh bangladesh game in a like a a bar that had amounts like people rooting for both sides it was pretty sweet yeah obviously there's a lot going on there <laughs> that's not just cricket related that could involve nuclear <laughs> weapons at some point <laughs> so um that was pretty cool there were actually a lot more indian supporters than there were bangladesh supporters but at the same time it was pretty intense um you know i had no idea about the scoring or anything i just knew that there's a bit of a history there, and this was kind of a cool thing, and I'm glad I was able to actually watch it. So, so if you're the India, if you're India, uh, like that's got to be just catastrophic whenever you lose a World Cup of cricket. Like you're not good at any other sport. You have so many billions of people, and you do terrible at the Olympics. All you have is cricket, and billions of people. So to lose at that, I mean, there's got to be nothing worse. Oh, it has to be. I mean, you're banking basically on everything. Like that's all you got, which. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I guess I'd say diversify your portfolio, but, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe not focus on that so much. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. Apparently, I mean, it's hard, I guess, when you're a poor country. I guess they don't want to. I guess they just love cricket so much, right? I mean, who knows? Um, well, I mean, India does, or not India, Australia does a pretty good job. They're good at rugby and, uh, and yeah. cricket. Yeah. Uh, so, my, I, my, I like to, uh, so, I don't know if we should get into, sports that we know less about but so rugby i really enjoyed rugby league even though uh rugby union is the the major sport but rugby league is a lot faster pace so jared hayne the guy who played for the 49ers he actually played rugby league in australia he didn't play rugby union and that's the sport that with the uh over over dramatized downfall of football i think could replace it if people would actually watch it i mean it was very very interesting to watch so that's that's what's what's the major difference? I mean, okay, so rugby league. Um, I guess the major difference is you have uh, you have six. I guess equivalent would be downs to go the length of the field and you get a try, and yeah. as opposed to you have the ball until you lose possession, which is rugby union. So because you have essentially six attempts to to take the ball the length of the field. 
um, you're a lot more aggressive in trying to do it, so it's a lot more fast-paced as opposed to um, Union, which is a little bit, you know, it's more of a brute force type game than uh, the League, which is a little more finesse, I think. And then the other thing is um, the scoring is slightly different. Uh, so a try, a try is worth a lot more proportionally compared to uh, a field goal in, in League versus Union. So uh, rugby Union, you'll have games uh, with, uh, like England, I think, is really good at, their kicking game is really good. So they'll not care necessarily about getting a try. They'll be happy to uh, score off a, a American phrase field goal. Whereas league, it's very important to take the ball to length of the field. So again, everybody's trying to go to length of the field. You're not, not as near as involved with the kicking. Um, and so that's good. So one thing I do, one thing that I kind of like about league, um, that's interesting is so, I mean, the field looks similar to an American football field, but if you score, if you score in the middle of the field, whenever you kick for the extra, the, the, the extra point, you do it right from the middle of the field. So it's a straight on, uh, field goal. But if you do it from the, if you make a score in the very corner of the, uh, of the try zone, then whenever you kick the field goal, you kick it from that corner. So it's a much more difficult kick. So, if you, yeah, if you score on the side, it kind of hurts you more than scoring in the middle, which I think is slightly interesting. And then where you actually score is where you touch the ball on the ground. So if you if you beat everybody downfield, but you're on the side, you can run to the middle and then touch touch the ball down there. Oh, okay, that's how that works. All right, because yeah. I was always wondering how how that works. You know how in, a, in college football, like guys have been dropping the ball before they cross the goal line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know, then they. Then, then the announcers get all upset about it. And uh, has there ever been like a rugby related really controversy where the guy like never touched the ball on the ground, and then the announcers got all upset about it? <laughs> I don't. I, I never solved a controversy like that. Now, they uh, they'll like you know they'll reach down, and sometimes there'll be a controversy of whether or not they actually touched the ball to the ground, or if it fell out of their hands before it touched, uh, and stuff like that. Uh, so that's. Okay. They'll have that. That's not a. Con- that's not somebody just being dumb. That's somebody trying to make a play and not completing the play. But the funny. The other funny thing is, so they replay every try. And uh, KFC is the sponsor, which I know Kentucky Fried Chicken. Why well, you sponsored in Australia? But uh, and then it's like the s- screen lights up green if it's a try, and it flashes try. And the screen screen turns red if it's not a try, and it says no try across there. They just really do up the instant replay where we just complain about it. And I think that's probably a little bit better approach. But I could be wrong. Nice. Anyway. I, you know, I love uh, I love any sort of international sport that lets me get up early on a Saturday so I can watch it. So, <laughs> so it's all the- good. So the best thing about rugby league, well, one of the one of the things I enjoyed about rugby league is so I lived in the state of Queensland, and they they're you know you know they have a league just like I mean Australia has a national rugby league just like you know a national basketball association or whatever, but then um, they have a set of three games each year, which is the the best players from Queensland that are from Queensland versus the best players that are from New South Wales, and they play each other in a series of three games. So it essentially be like the best football players from the Midwest and East Coast versus the best football players from Texas and the West Coast or whatever and playing each other in a series of games. And so 
it's it's very uh, entertaining, and you get a good amount of uh, tries going on, which is always enjoyable and worse, but not in real life. But yeah, and Australians are nuts anyway, so I can, <laughs> I can see how that would be a, uh, well, for lack of a better term, a shit show in terms of just <laughs> drunken, drunken Aussies everywhere. So, hey, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's great. Get a bunch of bogans. Ah, all right, so... You wanted to talk about uh, your Santos, well, not your Santos jersey, but jerseys. Jerseys in general, yeah. So I, I, I very rarely wear jerseys because I'm a, I'm a grown ass man. All right, uh, I'm, I'm 40. Come with me. <laughs> uh, no, I, I very rarely do it, but I decided. I mean, I don't know when the when the Cubs will be in the Game Seven of the World Series again, so I decided to wear a uh, Mitchell and Ness. Ron Santo jersey that I've had for a long time. It fits me like an apron. It's huge. Um, I bought it back when uh, I think Nelly was probably wearing something very similar. Um, so it's been around a while. But I was then thinking about just some of the other stupid jerseys that I, I own that, again, I don't really wear them. I don't know why I own them. But there's two in particular that I'm actually very proud of. And I don't know if you have anything similar to these. But Back when I lived in Chicago, one of the perks I'm about living on the south side was something called the White Sox Garage Sale, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Um, it'd be an off day at the park, usually on like, like a Saturday morning, I don't know, like in June or something like that. And they would just open up the park to all these just miscreants like myself that would stand in line with shopping carts. And then they would you go, you walk into like the, the, the bowels of the stadium and they just have all this stuff for sale. Right. So like literally like things they just pulled off the walls, like framed pictures they pulled off the walls, um, like cracked bats, uh, baseball signed by Billy Koch. And like uh, I mean, just like all this crappy merchandise that no one would ever want except me. And one of the best parts was actually going through the game worn jerseys and trying to pick out like your favorite game worn jerseys. So some of the more popular ones you can imagine get pretty expensive. Some of sure. the less popular ones, which are the ones I was more interested in can be had for fairly cheap. Like I bought a Joey Cora when he was the bench coach of the Sox game worn <laughs> Jersey for like 70, 75 bucks, which I was pretty happy about. But my prize possession that I got that I really should wear more often, but I don't really know how to explain the relevance to people, especially in Boston is a game worn white Sox Carl Everett Jersey. And it's like, you put it on and you just immediately, Stop believing in dinosaurs. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty sweet. I mean, just knowing that I had something that, like, a legitimately crazy would, like, you know, spit on people and rant about fossils being planted in the earth by the CIA or whatever, uh, very much makes me excited. And I wish I had the equivalent of that for the Cubs because I probably would never take it off. The best thing I could think of would be like a Mark Bellhorn jersey from 2002 or something like that. Um, not because he's crazy, but just because he was kind of a weird player. And ideally, the thing would just be splattered with tobacco spit. Because um, or I just maybe I just splatter tobacco spit on it myself just to make it more authentic feeling. Um, but yeah, I was, I was kind of wondering, like for you, because you know I love crappy baseball players. You love crappy baseball players. Well, first of all, I think I'm trying to think like the best crap. Yeah, go ahead. I, I think that uh, the better Cub jersey might be, because he was crazy, Randall Simon. 
That would be a good one. I mean, you could just you could just go what around. Milton Bradley jersey. Milton Bradley would be good, but I just think with a Simon, you could just look look for somebody running around in a sausage costume and just hit him with a bat, and that would be all kinds of fun. That guy was legitimately crazy. Wow, <laughs> Randall, that'd be a good one too. I think you could probably get that for cheap. The problem is he's a much bigger man than me, so this thing would just be hanging <laughs> yeah. off. To me. Um, that is true. So th- not that my Carl Everett jersey doesn't hang off of me, but still, you know. <laughs> I don't own any game worn jerseys, but the the crazy the craziest player, well, maybe the craziest player of any sport. Um, I own a Stephen Jackson jersey from the Pacers. So, I don't know <laughs> what that's. Jack. I don't know what that's worth to you. Um, but that I I it just brings up bad memories for me. In fact, I was reading this article where somebody from the Pacers, like head of communications, he's he's been there a while, and apparently he's still friends with um with Artest, and like Artest and him were were catching up, and Artest was talking about how he realizes that when he was in Indiana, he had a bunch of people that cared for him in the on the team, and he was kind of a uh, he was kind of a jerk, and they had a team that was a championship team, and and it all fell apart. So the Jackson jersey is really just sad for me, but for other people, I mean, it's pretty entertaining, Captain Captain Jack. Uh. Man, baseball, I don't know. I don't know what the... All mine are just sad. Like, all I can think of is, like, Rick Keel. I think Todd Sotomayor. <laughs> I think a Todd Sotomayor uh, Cardinals jersey. I think that's where I'd go. Or Alan Bennis. Not Andy, Alan Bennis. Oh. Ooh, that'd be a good one. I would like that one. So, I actually just... I just pulled up the Carl Everett Wikipedia page, and there's... What I love about Wikipedia is, like, the headings, and there's just a heading that just says controversy. <laughs> and that's just, so it's basically just Carl Everett controversy. So I, this is actually, I didn't realize this. This is pretty funny. In reference to these comments, Dan Shaughnessy, who we could have a whole other podcast about, dubbed, dubbed Carl Everett Jurassic Carl, which I think is a hilarious nickname, Jurassic Carl. <laughs> and then Everett, in turn, referred to Shaughnessy as the curly-haired boyfriend of great beat writer Gordon Edes. <laughs> ah. Wonderful. He also, oh, I didn't know this. He also questioned the validity of the Apollo moon landing. Um, ooh, ooh, that's which, that, so he's, he's a moon landing truther. Wow, that that hits close to home. Uh, although I guess if you're if you're going to be a truther on something, the moon landing is one that uh, probably offends the least amount of people. I think. <laughs> I, well, I guess unless you're Buzz Aldrin, um, then <laughs> you, you tend to get upset about it. But. Um, <laughs> Actually, maybe that's, we should have celebrity boxing, Buzz Aldrin versus Carl Everett. <laughs> no, we should That'd be bad. <laughs> That'd be terrible. Uh, hey, in, in other Purdue, Purdue aviation news, um, which obviously was the next topic we were going to. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I saw an article the other day, this is exciting stuff, that they think they may have found the skeleton that belongs to Amelia Earhart. So they think she actually landed on an island and, uh, and died at the island, so not much better. But, but yeah, they, they think like they measured her arm to leg ratio, and they think it's her bones. Interesting. I mean, I, my my favorite theory about her was that she turned into Tokyo Rose, like the propaganda, <laughs> like the radio propaganda person back in World War II. Like somehow they captured her and like turned her into this like weird propaganda person. Um, but well, apparently she died alone on an island. So, um, uh. For Amelia, but yeah, one of Purdue's uh, most famous famous alumni. Yeah, we, we got some good ones. We got her. We got Neil Armstrong. Really, Orville Redenbacher. 
Kyle really Orton. goes Kyle Orton. <laughs> getting getting books you want to talk about? Um, sure. Uh, I just so I well, all right. So here's the thing. I usually read at night, right? Sure. I haven't had a great chance to read at night lately because I've been staying up late watching baseball. Right? That happens. Um, so when I do get a chance, I've been uh, I've been kind of reading very very what I would consider light reading. But I read a book about the Rolling Stones that came out uh, earlier this year. Uh, it's called The Sun, the Moon, and the Rolling Stones. It's actually very good. Um, I don't know a ton about them. I've always liked their music. Um, uh, this guy, I think he was a Rolling Stone journalist, uh, a Rolling Stone journalist and interviewed the Rolling Stones, went on tour with them. Um, but it's not like the typical – what I liked about it was it's not just like the typical um, – yeah, the the Stones are just doing a bunch of drugs and they're nuts. Yeah. And it was actually kind of an interesting look into uh, what defined them as a band, um, why they made the music they did, and kind of like galvanizing and and iconic moments in the band's history that shaped them going forward. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it was actually it was a really good book. I, I enjoyed it. It didn't take me that long to read it again. Um, uh, I kind of need something light to read. And I like this because it wasn't just like, yeah, Keith Richards did a bunch of heroin and then overdosed and he was nuts. And oh my God, how crazy they were. It was more like, you know, they were very passionate about their music. They were also undeniably crazy and drug addicts. But with that being said, like, it was cool. It, it was a really good book. Um, I'm going to go even lighter reading since you, since you said that and go absolutely. with a, an internet article uh, in the spirit of the season. So my favorite Bill Simmons writing of all time is from 2002. He did a sports, a, a mock sports century article to, uh, based around Michael Myers. And oh it's amazing. It, it is just absolutely amazing. He does everybody, everybody that he fake interviews says exactly what you would think they would say in the, in the way that you think they would say it. I mean, I think it's some of his best writing just because he really, like, he consumes a lot of media, and so he's really good at breaking down what the essence of how these people talk. And it's a great article. Um, it's his two, it's his two biggest passions, Halloween and sports. And so it's just a great, uh, it's, it's a great combination for him. So. What, that's ha- what happened? What happened to Bill Simmons? Why doesn't he write like that anymore? He doesn't write like that anymore, but this, he doesn't write anymore. He wrote an article last week for, for the first time forever, but, like what he did at Grantland, he he employed a bunch of different young writers, and and frankly, he employed employed a du- bunch of different young writers with different backgrounds and different perspectives on things, uh, and he's kind of done the same thing at the Ringer. The Ringer. So I actually really like Bill Simmons as a website uh, talent picker. I think he's great at that. I think he. He gives a d- bunch of different people opportunities that are worth the opportunity. I think he's got a pretty high hit rate. So, 2002, Bill Simmons spent all of his time consuming media and consuming sports. In 2015, 2016, Bill Simmons has to spend so much of his time being, being a celebrity. And it, it's, it's probably a lot harder. Like, it's, it's probably a lot harder to, to make fun of somebody, even plainly, if you spend a lot of time with them. Where if you're a columnist who's 
pretty much, I mean, you, you work for ESPN, but you're pretty much off in a corner. You can make fun of Hubie Brown. Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna make, take offense at that, but, but you can't make fun of, like, if, if Bill Simmons does the same thing today and writes the same article, but then, like, does some Sage Steele stuff and makes fun of Sage Steele, they're gonna make, oh, you're just making fun of her because you worked on NBA Countdown and you, you didn't like her. It becomes, you've spent so much time with all these people, you obviously, have an agenda if you talk to him. I, th- I think that's part of it. Um, and I think he doesn't have the time to put into his writing that he used to. So that's the other side of it. Like the, the articles that he used to write, he's just not, you know, he, he can't watch every Red Sox game or every Celtics game. And so he's not going to be able to, He's like, kind of like me. I, I don't watch near as much sports as I used to, so I kind of feel like a fraud talking about sports because you just don't have the perspective. But his his podcasts are still good. I still enjoy his podcasts. So I, I think he's just time times changed, and what he's got going on has changed. That's all I got. No, I, so I, that that makes a lot of sense, and I, I think I agree with you. And it's, that's something I, I haven't really thought. He's he's a he's a manager now. He has to manage people. He has to spend a lot of time managing people. And you're right that he has put together two. I think very, very good websites um, that aren't necessarily just a bunch of Bill Simmons clones either, which I think that was always going to be kind of the, the fear. Um, so if you approach him, if you, I guess you could approach his, out, his output of work as that is now his main focus and he's producing, you know, podcasts and this website and the TV show that I haven't watched, but uh, I don't really want to. With that being said, um, yeah, I mean, he has been, obviously successful and he's obviously doing something right i guess i just feel i don't know for better or for worse he was kind of like these our sports writer of record for our generation of like you know now early 30s but at that point in time you know early 20s and, and that's white another dudes at public schools in the midwest right and that's another question too like was was he really better at like was 2002 Bill Simmons really a better writer than 2016 Drew uh, McGarry or Madry or however you say his last name? Yeah. I don't know how you say it. Yeah. Yeah. Was he really like a, a better – I think Drew is one of the better writers on the internet even yes. uh, today, but I, I don't know that he's like – he doesn't have near the mass uh, appeal that Simmons did in his heyday, but was Simmons really, really a better writer or was he just one of the guys that was the first person to really capture what you can do writing on the internet without a strict word count? I, yeah, I think it's all, I think it's a lot of things. I think it also just probably resonated more with us at the time because, you know, we were kind of his exact yeah. audience. Right. Um, and yeah, it's exciting to read about, you know, this group of, idiots going to Vegas and doing, and, you know, and work 21 or 22. And it's like, Oh, we could do that too. You know? And I guess now if you read the same thing and he's talking about being at a blackjack table, I'm 33 now. And it's like, Oh, it's not really the same thing anymore. Well, but, uh, yeah. It, and he, he acknowledged that he changed. Like there's no way that he would write the Roger Clemens is the antichrist article today. There's, mm-hmm. there's no way. Like, I think you could, you could say things that were, ridiculous back then and still have a a more intelligent appeal like the people that say things ridiculous today are uh 
Stephen A. Smith or Skip Bayless or those guys. It was, exactly, we laugh at those guys. But how ridiculous is a whole column around Roger Clemens as Antichrist? That's ridiculous. That's no different than that's no different than Skip Bayless saying that LeBron James isn't one of the best five players in the NBA. They're both absolutely ludicrous. It's just one of them happened when we accepted it. I agree. I agree. I'm with you. All right, Todd. Good talking to you. It was. It's excellent talking with you as well. Um, wish me luck tonight. Good may luck. I, may I be may I be strong in in this moment <laughs> of, of crisis. Go get a dog. And uh, yeah, well, let's 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 get it done. Make <laughs> make, make this make this pain end. Anyways. Hey. All right, man. Take care. All right. See ya. See ya.